welcome to Crime on Primetime. I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman, and I'm here with my two best friends. What's up, y'all? It's A-Rod. And Malik. How are we doing this fine, fine weekend? Can't complain. Woke up, sun's out, birds are chirping. It's a great day. I mean, it has... Can't complain at all. It hasn't stopped raining in Colorado this whole summer. I think we've maybe had like 10 whole days where it just hasn't rained at all. Um, I kind of isn't and kind of isn't because Colorado is such an outdoorsy state, like all the activities and everyone does things outdoors. So when it's raining, you can't do those outdoorsy things. And then everyone just gets like cabin fever. And, you know. But I did get to go hiking yesterday. I did, in fact, fall scrambling on rocks and cut my forearm open. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we don't carry Band-Aids with us, which I've now put on our list of things to bring hiking. So I had to use my jacket as a tourniquet because we weren't done with a hike. So I was like, we got to keep going. <laughs> I don't take a first aid kit? No, we're going. To, I was talking to Dalton about it. I was like. Hey, we should maybe, like, start bringing Band-Aids or something. And he's like, yeah, I know you're supposed to bring a first aid kit with, like, Tylenol and Band-Aids and cream and this and that. And he's like, but I've just never needed it. And I said, well, now you're dating me, so maybe you need it. <laughs> All right. Molly, do you have a question for us? I do. Get I saw it, it the, the other day. Where? So if you and your – the other day, I, I saw it. No, I where guess did was, you see it? Oh, on TikTok. <laughs> okay. I guess, I don't know, if, I guess it's a movie. I don't really know. But basically, it was like, if you were a couple, well, me and Kenzie do have significant others, A-Rod. So I'm just going to go to... Pull them out like that. I'm just going to stay quiet for this question. A-Rod, 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 I can't imagine. Would you go into a room where there's nothing in the room, literally there's nothing but like a bathroom where you can shower, and then it's you and your significant other for 50 days, and you make $5 million if you stay the whole 50 days. And all you get to dr- or eat slash drink is this, like, little carton that basically has all the nutrients you need in it, and it's a drinkable fluid. That's all you get every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You have to stay in there with them for 50 days. There's nothing else in the room, like I said. There's a bed. The room's painted completely white. And if one person leaves then the other person can still stay, but you only get a million dollars. But you have to make it all 50 days. Wait, you say there's a shower? That's it. There's a shower and a bathroom. As long as there's a shower and a bathroom, I'll do it. I would and there's be... a countdown clock that probably makes you more crazy. I'll just sleep the whole time. See, that's what I th- I think I would like try and do like body workouts. And work yeah. out so hard to where I just like pass out yeah. and go to sleep every day for like half the day. I'll be on my Dragon Ball Z shit. I feel like I can do that already because I am so very tired. Um, but I think me and Dalton could. I would say we could do it. Dalton's opinion might be different because I. <laughs> I would be like we can do this, but then as soon as I get the least bit hungry or hangry, I know he's I gonna i because i get hangry and i get mean and i'm gonna take it out i'm gonna take it out on him but i get a movie or a show like i can watch something in there 
No, no, it's, it's on the movie. movie. Show. It, I think uh, it's on the movie show. The girl is actually the one who basically almost made it. See, I think I could almost make it. I think Dalton would leave, maybe, because I it would be mean to him, because I am hungry. But I feel like we're very good at being like, okay, I'm going to go over here and do this thing by myself. But what would that and, thing be? Um, Podcasting. I would work out. Yeah, I think that's the only thing. I mean, can I write? No, what? there's nothing in there. Well, what am I supposed to do, Malik? I don't know. I that's, the that's the point. That's the <laughs> I would go sit in a corner and stare at the wall if I needed space. Or I'd just stay in the shower for a really long time. I mean, I think we would be really good at, like, I don't need to be entertained right now, so whatever. The thing was that got me, the husband like walked out at like, I think there was like 16 or 15 days left and he just couldn't do it anymore. And then the wife, after he left, she only made it to like seven more days. I was like, what? How did you make that far and walk out? I would like knock myself out, hit my head against the wall and wake up seven days later and be like, I did it. I have. I have a severe concussion, but I did it. That's what I'm saying. And then the part that annoyed me, she was like, I left because I, because she basically like told her husband if he left that she just wasn't going to like be with him anymore. She yeah. I don't know how you recover from that. I don't know how you go. We're going to do this for 50 days. And then you realize you can't be together for 50 days. Mm-hmm. And then she left because she was like, maybe that was a bad decision to like tell him I wouldn't be with him if he left or whatever. So then they don't get anything. I was like, man, y'all fucking suck. It's because they love each other more than money. Uh, After that, she could have stayed the seven more days and then they would have still been on. He would have gotten over it and buy him a new Lambo or something. I don't know. What? Was this reality or fake? It was. I, I really don't know. I just randomly saw it on TikTok. My TikTok is interesting. That's why I don't mind doing the questions because they it it gives me questions every day that make me read maybe my life. maybe one of our questions should be what's your TikTok algorithm? So wait, do you think you and JC could make it? Probably, I think we would do what I said. We would just work out until we got exhausted every day and then just go to sleep. I don't think y'all could beat me and my significant other wherever she's at. <laughs> she's out there somewhere. Yeah. You can get down and dirty to pass the time if you really want to. Oh, she might uh, a little too, uh, too much information, but she might end up pregnant by the end of the 50 days. I mean, I don't see how you don't, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to cut this part out because my parents. Are- <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely thinking the same thing. Come I was like, on, we're adults. Okay, let's get let's get into this. Now we're just ranting. About COVID. We should just make an episode of us just ranting about random stuff. Well, maybe one day if we get a Patreon. I was already thinking about one day if we get a Patreon, I'll just put the actual full-length version of these, like, pre-show talks or opening talks so that (laughs) everyone can listen to it, all 30 minutes of it, which I usually trim down to 10. They can listen to the pre-show. Yeah. So, you know, people would have to pay five bucks to get the whole thing. Yeah. But worth you know, it. I would say it's worth it. You know what they don't have to pay five bucks for? To hear about the recap of this new episode we watched. 
Wow, good good transition okay. there, A-Rod. Yeah. What a segue, A-Rod. I'm practicing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this week we went back to our roots, which, what did A-Rod say our roots was last time? Mm. It was not SVU. You said something completely random. I don't remember, but it was not SVU, and I was like... No, you're wrong. Okay, Law and Order SVU, Season 4, Episode 18, Desperate. It starts with, oh, the nicest old lady neighbor. You know she makes good cookies. I'm not eating her raggedy-ass cookies. What? I feel like she helped out with that little boy. She knew him by name. I don't know. Anyways. And then I said, oh, man, such a sad scene. Okay, why is it always the darkest, creepiest apartment complexes that they film these things in? It's always it, sketchy. It's always sketchy. It gives you the effect, like, something went down. It had to. Like, if I walked into that apartment, I would know, like, something bad's going to happen here. It's, it's not set up right. No, I'm even like in the other. hallway, it was sketchy. I was like, where are these people living in these shows? We talked about this in another one, that that NCIS episode. And that guy lived in, like, an apartment complex that looked like a zombie apocalypse. And this one wasn't much better. But, yes, they entered, and it was a really freaking sad scene. That little boy in the corner. Um, and his mom's blood. Oh, broke my heart. Okay. So the scene was a little boy. It was all dark. The little boy was next to a dresser, cowering, covered in his mom's blood. And the mom was dead in the bed that he was next to. For listeners that didn't watch it. Okay. So man. So mom has head injuries and was raped and sodomized. She's in surgery. No injury to Mikey, the little boy. And then he grabbed Olivia's police badge and was looking at it. So I was like. Did a policeman do it? Because I was like, is he interested? Is that why he saw this badge recently? Just like giving a hint. That's what I thought. I haven't seen this episode in probably a long time. Honestly, at first I was like, I don't remember this one. And I think it's because it's like one of those that kind of just feels like all of the. It didn't really stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I didn't remember this one as much either. And then I said, oh, shit, the mom died. No DNA and no home security. Blood splatter shows the weapon was a lamp. So, just a recipe for disaster. The poor boy... I don't know what... I said, the poor boy say everything. What? He saw everything. Saw everything. (laughs) He, He was hiding behind the wall, and he was watching his mom get beat and raped. And they because they found a pee stain on the floor. God, he wet his that's pants. So sad. That's so sad. God, kids, you gotta you gotta type <laughs> these notes. Listen, type. even if I typed that up, that probably still would have said say and you instead of saw. Okay, there's no there's no fixing that. Dana and Mikey moved in a month ago. Landlord seems like a scumbag. He seemed like a rich douchebag. Was like, I don't care about these people. I live in my nice high-rise apartment. Yeah, he seems like he's got like way more apartments. He's not worried about the shithole one. If anything, he's probably getting ready to like get rid of it. He's tired dealing with it. Yeah. Um. 
If she paid cash, she was hiding from something. I made that. That's how many of these TV shows I watch. I was like, you know, if it's cash, they're hiding. Mm-hmm. Can't put their name on anything. Why is the husband being a douche? When that guy first opened the door, who turned out not to be the husband because it was his wife's ID that got stolen. Oh, yeah. But he opened that door and was immediately a douche to them. He was like, he said, yeah, I know where my wife is. She's inside. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why, why? What's with the attitude when the police just randomly knock on your door? They didn't mm-hmm. say anything. Hey. You don't like the feds. I he, guess. he didn't like the way they were coming at him. I can, yeah. I can respect it. I mean, like I get it. I guess. I guess. So she stole someone's ID, and now their names are Jill and Tommy. Yep. Oh, shit. She's not the biological mom. Dun, dun, dun. Plot twist. My first thought is that Tommy is in witness protection and Jill was his handler. I don't know why that was my assumption of the situation. But I that was it. Was That's what I came up with. I thought she was like yeah, a babysitter no of some sort. A babysitter? Yeah. Yeah, I was like way off base. You're you're a lot closer. Because <laughs> yeah, they've had SVU episodes of like babysitters stealing the kid. Because yeah. they like the way the parent was raising them. You know what they haven't had? An episode of SVU where the child was in witness protection and the handler <laughs> was murdered as hey. the actual witness watched. So none of that logic makes sense. Like, why would they hey. kill this person and not go after the witness? I don't know. Dick Wolf, that's your next episode if you listen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I then I wrote, I miss Dr. Wong. He was like one of my favorite characters on SVU. I like Dr. Wong. He teaches me things. He says the smartest things. Elliot was always a bitch to him. I know. I was like, this man knows way more than... I mean, he... And he's so logical and was just... He played, like, both sides. And was just mm-hmm. like, this is what the science says, man. Like... Yeah, it's, he's always just telling Elliot the facts. And Elliot's always bitching at him. I always think that's funny. <laughs> man, he drew the... Okay, so the child drew the mor- murder. This poor kid needs all the help. He's so cute. I felt bad for this kid the whole time. Like, the trauma that he must have faced witnessing it's always sad when they draw the picture of the murder after too at first i didn't feel bad for him because i was getting this episode confused with the episode with the kid that attacks olivia that's what i thought he was gonna do but that's a different kid he is a small black haired kid though yeah i think i know i think i remember which one you're talking about i would have been like that's what i thought it was at first i was like don't get too close to olivia he's about to stab you he knows the number of the, you want to know what this line says I wrote? He knows the number, the the DV hotline. <laughs> domestic <laughs> violence hotline? He knows the number of the domestic <laughs> violence hotline. That's also really sad that he has that number memorized. This lady immediately knows it's the husband. Oh, when they walked into the domestic hotline... And they're like, oh, Jill? Oh, it was the husband. <laughs> she said that son of a bitch finally got her. I know. I was like, that's the only witness you need. <laughs> Put her on the stand. 
So Tommy is her stepson. So she married Tommy's dad. Mm-hmm. Hoffman sounds like an ass. Of course he's a oh the dad. The dad's first name is Hoffman. I'm sure I wrote or last name Hoffman. I'm sure I wrote his down his Dan. His name's Dan. Dan. Okay, Dan Hoffman. Sounds like an ass. Of course he's a prominent member of society. I feel like it's always those guys. Oh, as in he is a cop. Okay, I got this wrong in my notes because I guess I got confused at some point that he was a cop, but he wasn't a cop. He was friends with the cops. Still, I roll. I wrote um, asterisk, I roll, asterisk. This supervisor sounds so naive about Dan's behavior. Oh, the cop guy just sounded like a freaking idiot. And I was like, whoever put this guy in charge? Because he was like... Dan wouldn't ever do that. Dan this, Dan that. I was like, sounds like Dan, you're kissing Dan's ass. Cut it out. You know what was happening. You're either really dumb and you need to be fired from your job, or you knew what was going on and you know, you're just trying to play dumb. Either way, you need to be fired from your job. Everyone hating on the first wife because of Dan's lies. I roll. I wrote it again. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, what makes you mad this whole episode is that they never just, like, think to go look for the wife. Because she's clearly not dead. Like, no one ever says she's dead. I mean, the most annoying part is, like, the fact that... And this happens in real life, which is also annoying and probably why I was most annoyed, of, like, the husband just being, like... Cheering off with another man or like just bad mouthing her across the whole town and everyone believes him because he's just Mr. It's the douchebag nice thing. The douchebag nice of like, I could never do that. She's the bitch for leaving me and my son and see I would have thought like he would have gone after his first wife. You know, domestic violence people like, oh like why you're not gonna leave me, this and that. And I would just assume he would go after her. But I, I agree, but I think it's also because he probably had absolutely no idea where she went. Yeah, probably. And it might have just shocked him that she would even leave. Like, like leave. yeah. So I think it's because he probably just didn't know where she, because it was like, we'll get to it, the underground thing. Um, and cool. not just a shelter of like. Oh, she's probably at the women's shelter. Because I do think that if he knew where she was, if she was, like, back at family or something, he would have he would have gone after her and attacked her. Yeah. Okay. And then I wrote, fuck off, dude. Oh, when he... <laughs> when, when he was about to tell Olivia... When Tommy was about to tell Olivia who killed Jill... And that dude just barged in. And I was like, you don't give a shit about that kid. So you just need to stay the hell back and let him let him tell us that you killed Jill. <laughs> um, Sounds like the dumbest lawsuit. Oh, what was he suing them for his emotional distress by keeping the child? The child away. That Even sounds made up. Like a month. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that sounds me. Like, how are you going to prove you have emotional? Like, I don't know. It wasn't even that long that they had Tommy without his knowledge. They it's pulled like, maybe him out a of day. his ass. But also, they didn't know who Tommy was for like a while. That was the dumbest lawsuit. Okay, 
looks he looks like Jake Gyllenhaal is what I wrote. Did he not kind of give you a Jake Gyllenhaal vibe? Who? Dan Hoffman. No. He gave me a wife beater vibe. Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't give you that vibe? His picture, he looks nothing like Jake Gyllenhaal. He kind of looked like Jake Gyllenhaal in the episode. Okay, listeners, if you watch the TV show, I need you to write in or DM and tell them that that guy looks a little bit like Jake Gyllenhaal in a way. It was the haircut, I think, and the long face. Oh, the victim blaming, eye roll, emotionally unstable, eye roll. Uh, I wrote all those too, if you were wondering. Um, yeah, uh, nothing is in, that was then his, first wife ran away with another dude. This one's unstable. She just couldn't handle it or whatever. I'm like, sir, do you know, I mean, this is a red flag, okay? Mm. For all you young girls listening out there, if the person you are dating tells you that he has, like, more than one crazy ex-girlfriend, it's not the girlfriends, okay? So that is a red flag, and you just need to get out of there. Every guy is allotted one crazy ex. Any more than one, it's him. Any more than one, it's him. <laughs> He's making them crazy, if anything. Yes. Or he just likes to do this shit, where, like... They had every, like, they're just normal people, but they didn't want to stay with him. So, oh, they must be crazy because how freaking good am I? You gross lady. Okay, what did I write this about? I know what this is about. Were they talking about her? There's. We'll read it out loud. And we I don't, I just says, ooh, gross lady. Um, yeah, you gotta put timestamps next to your yeah. next to your notes. I think oh, it was the realtor that was like, he was so cute, and I oh when she was talking about how he came back oh. with his shirt all rumpled, and she's like, I wish I could have done that to him. I'm like, oh. that's gross. Oh. Why would you tell the police that at the party? Yeah. Yeah, I wish I knew her. <laughs> I don't know, but I was like, why? That is like just details about that night. You didn't have to share. Like he came back with rumpled and sweaty, and it made me wish that I had done that to him. She was trying to find a broom closet with him. I know. I was like, gross. That's so <laughs> gross. She... Um, and then I wrote, I mean, that's fair. He does need to get help. Oh, when they were arguing over Tommy, and. I hate it, but they were like, he needs to get help before you. Oh, I hate that that's why Dan was going to win having Tommy. But I do agree that was the best thing for Tommy, that he should probably talk to a psychologist. Yeah. And probably talk to a psychologist for at least a year. Uh, Probably his whole life. (laughs) Yeah. Dan's lawyer is good, and I think she's sleeping with him. But she, like, she had very valid points. She was making some really good arguments um, on Dan's behalf. And I was like, I feel like lawyers only fight this hard when they're sleeping with their clients. But okay. Okay, so my next line says, sure you would, fucker. I roll. Don't know what that's pertaining to, but it's obviously pertaining to something Dan said. Kenz, you need better notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's hard because, like, I know Law & Order SVU. So it's hard to, like, take notes because I'm, like, 
I'm just yeah, watching because I've seen it so many times. But the viewers don't know what you're talking about. I know about. that. But for all the viewers, Dan said something, and I said, sure, you would fuck her eye roll. So that probably means he wasn't going to do whatever. I think that's when um, – I think that's when Elliot and Olivia went to his house and to, like, apologize or something. I don't know. And he said something about, like, how he's going to give the best care to... I don't know. Anyways, let's move on. Someone's showing his true colors. Oh, when Olivia was interviewing him, was questioning him, and he was like, you... If you were my wife, you wouldn't talk to me like that or something. Oh, yeah, he was like, if you weren't wearing that... If you didn't have that gun or badge, this and that. Essentially saying, like, you're a woman and you can't talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. But I can talk to you like that because I'm a man. I'm a big, strong man. Y'all yeah, think sometimes Olivia gets off when she's doing when she's doing this? I would. I feel like she gets a little, she gets a little into it. Well, mm -hmm. I would if I had that power knowing, like, you're just a little bitch and I'm the one that's about to put you away. You think you're a little strong man? You're a little itty bitty boy. Yeah, she gets off. She's like that. There's another detective down the line that actually does like get off to that stuff because she gets in trouble for like having sex with one of the rapists. It's still like, oh, it's in like the first episode or the first season. Yeah, it's in like the first season because she's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and they were like, that. "You're sleeping with a known abuser, rape And uh, yeah, that yeah. was weird. I was like, she does need to not. Do this. I was job. like, oh, she's got, she's got a problem. She's like yeah. a different, she's a different kind of freak. <laughs> like that's freak. just not safe, man. Okay, interesting. Uh, observations about his use of possessions. Oh, when Elliot and and Olivia were talking after the interview, and they were just talking about how he always refers to Jill and Tommy as like his wife, his child, but never calls him by it. By their name to like his property. So he, yeah, it treats them as possessions more than he does his people. Mm -hmm. So I always that kind of stuff always fascinates me. They're going to use this stripper thing against as soon as they were like she was a stripper, I was like, Oh my god, this is gonna come up in court. He's already said she's unstable. So they're gonna be like, She's a stripper and unstable. So she like it's her fault she died. <laughs> That's not how that works. They are. I like how they. Sorry. No, go ahead. I like how they basically called her a bad stripper too. I I thought. That oh, was she wasn't good. Honestly, I <laughs> I was. I. You know what? It probably took a lot for her to go and and do that. Like how are you um, a bad stripper? Come. I can tell you how you're a bad stripper, A Rod. <laughs> If we no seeing the knowing the way Kenzie dances, I would have to throw quarters at you, kids. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it probably took a lot for Jill to go and do that because she didn't come, you know, from that like lifestyle. Um, so I honestly, it's like I feel amazing, kind of badass of her to be like, you know what, this is the situation I am. I need money and stripping and that's what i'm gonna try to do so i don't know i thought it was i don't know brave resilient that shit was hilarious 
Okay, and then I wrote, how does the bird fit into the strip routine? I'm really curious to see how a cockatoo fits into the strip routine. <laughs> <laughs> um, this dude had no idea what he set off. Oh, the dude that was like, yeah, I saw a girl, a stripper that looked just like Dan's second wife. So I called him up and I said, there's a stripper that looks just like your second wife. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude. I mean, it's not your fault because you probably had no idea what was going on. But also, imagine if he just didn't say anything. It would have all worked out, probably. And then I, also, I really wanted them to ask him, how much did you give her? Tell me, tell me. Oh, uh, you know, he did it, man. too. <laughs> I was like, tell the He's truth, He's probably man. into that, that, what the strippers were saying about how, like, a lot of the, like, working guys, the financial guys or whatever, loved, like, the housewife look that she had. Um, He was probably one of those. He probably, yeah, he threw some dollars at her. And the crazy part is all of those men probably have housewives at home, but... Oh, yeah. They don't want that housewife. No, they want this <laughs> one that's stripping. Uh, Alex is not wrong. When I think they were trying to be like, you just need to subpoena the six-year-old. And she's like, subpoena him, and then he gets up on the stand uncoached and says God knows what. I was like, she's not wrong. Like, maybe we just shouldn't put an uncoached six-year-old up or or just not put him up on the stand at all. I mean. He's already traumatized. Yeah, I was like, I I feel like Alex has a point here. And I feel like y'all are being crazy to be like, just subpoena him. He's he's a very tough six-year-old also, I feel like. He is. He may be like a little traumatized. He's not like. He's just not, like, completely freaking out or anything. Mm-hmm. It's an internal thing. But he also didn't talk for, like, the first half of the show. Mm-hmm. True. True. He also didn't talk. Um, okay, I want to say I hate the sweater, but I don't. When they went to go pick up... No, when they went... To, yeah, went to go rest Dan, and he had that sweater on. Do you remember the sweater? Oh, that outfit was awful. I kind of like the sweater. I kind of like, I wanted to say I hated it, but I was like, low key, I kind of like it. I would wear it. Was it like a gray sweater? Yeah, with like orange, like, you know how they do the orange diamond things on sweaters? It's like a knitted one. Yeah. Plaid undershirt. It's kind of cute. I kind of wanted it. Nah. Not on him, but like on me. You're playing into it, man. You're playing into it. I don't think it looked good on him. I want the sweater. I want the sweater itself. I don't want him. Now we on your ass. Now we know which side she supports. Mm-hmm. I wrote, I want to do the SpongeBob meme every time the lawyer or Dan open their mouths. Every time they're like, well, she was crazy. All I can imagine is that SpongeBob meme of all the different size letters. And it's like, she was oh. crazy. Oh, <laughs> every yeah. time they open their mouths, that's all I could see or wanted to do. I was mm-hmm. like, I want to keep saying stupid shit. How can you ask that? Evidence of DV be excluded. Okay, that was wild to me. They're like, there should, the the defense was like, there should not be any mention of domestic violence because the accuser, or Dan is not able to defend himself against his accuser or whatever. You have, like, the right Mm -hmm. to your Mm -hmm. accuser or whatever. Okay, I was like, well, ma'am, first off, the accuser is not here because Dan killed her. (laughs) I don't, that was like the first time, I'm sure it's not the first time in Law and Order, but it was like the first time that I feel like I felt 
like that was dumb. Like they always let the domestic violence stuff in. How can you be like the domestic violence should be brought up in a domestic violence case? And then I wrote, "What the fuck? He on- she he only can't face her because he killed her." Oh yeah. And then I said, dang, wife number one is really off the grid. They couldn't find her anywhere. I was like, this is good. This is real good shit. Hey, the Underground Railroad was good stuff. If anybody out there ever is a part of the Underground Railroad, let me know. I'll help out. I Okay, we're about to talk about that because I thought that was just like the cool. I said, I really wish. Oh, wait, let's get to the. We're almost there. I really wish the sweet old man would have helped her when he was like, oh, yeah, I knew he she was being abused. I was like, dude. Why doesn't you do? But then he was like, I did call the police. I was like, all right, all right. Yeah, until he saw the the van. Yeah. He, <laughs> he, he was like, the, well, they just no, cut like, her up, I guess. And he like, called kept about going the about. van. That's what he called about. He called about the oh, van. Yeah. He didn't call about the fact that he saw her with bruises and stuff. And broken arm and And yeah, everything. it was like, God, come on, man. Like, you didn't try to help her during this. You just kind of observed it, but... I mean, he did call about the van, so maybe he redeemed himself a little bit. Why hasn't this guy said anything before? Oh. Like, when the first wife went missing, why didn't he be like, I don't think she's missing. I think she's, or, I don't think she ran away with another man. I think he did something. Oh, he, and then I wrote, oh, he did. But Dan works with the police. So he probably did. Yeah, he probably may have said something to the police, and they're like, not Dan, not our buddy. There's yeah. no way. He's a good guy. Have you met Dan? His we'll wife, on the other hand, is a bitch. <laughs> um, She didn't stash a body. She helped him escape. Okay, this was like plot twist after plot twist of... At first, we were like, oh, she helped Dan dispose of the body. And then it's like, no... She helped her get away. This is the Underground Railroad. I love this. I hope this is done in real life. Okay, listeners, this is what it is. This one lady came and secretly got Dan's first wife out of the house. She didn't give her to another lady. Um, and after that, she has no idea what happened. She does. She just knows the next link in the chain. So the victim, the domestic violence victim, gets passed around to all these women until they can find her a nice, steady, like, house, job, life, and she just disappears, but you only know the next link in the chain so that it can never be, like, traced back for, like, safety reasons for, I'm sure, them and for her. Um, I so, this was, like, the coolest thing. I so wish this happens in real life. I feel like it does. I feel like it does. I really do think there's a thing like that. Well, if it does, hit up Crime on Prime Time. <laughs> Any, we would we would love to help. Hopefully they're not having to leave kids behind. Yeah. As uh, far as like just getting out of a relationship, hopefully that that does happen. That is okay. I think we'll talk about this next. Um, because I wrote, I bet it was so hard to leave. Because I bet it was. I bet like leaving her kid behind was so hard. Um. I don't know. How do you feel about her leaving her kid behind? I think she should have took him. Low-key, I think that was a BS excuse. But I get... I don't know. I get why you can't take the kid. But I feel like she could have just as easily took him, you know? 
I feel like you maybe could have. I get why she didn't, because it, it was like, he he wasn't abusing that child at the time. But I also felt if she would if she would have took the kid, you think he absolutely would have gone after her then? I don't know, because I don't yeah. think he loves the kid. Yeah, I almost don't even know. I, I kind of want to say no, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think he would have. I, I would have took the kid. Personally, I would have took the kid. Yeah, I would I would have took him personally. personally. I mean, yeah, but I get why you can't. I get that at this point in time, you're the kid is technically fine. He's not abusing the kid, and it's your life. Like, you could die, and this is how you get out. And maybe you always but, have that idea in your mind that, okay, I'm going to get out. I'm going to make some money, I'm going to get a lawyer, and then I'm going to go back. But right. I have to remove myself from the situation first. She's the she's the biological mother. Usually courts fall what they go in favor of the mother. But if you're that. in a situation like that where your husband is, like, the prominent one in society and he's been going around telling everyone how crazy and unstable you were, the court will turn very fast on you. I mean, in that situation, he has more authority and power over her and more money better lawyers i mean i think he would have won if she would have gone to court and she did say she went back for him and saw that he was happy with jill and that she was like hey he has a better life than i could have given so maybe she did try and then realized like okay maybe this isn't the best life for him i think she was like checking up on him because she said like he went to her his game last year Mm mm-hmm I, yeah, I don't think it was – I one, I don't think it was easy for her. And two, I don't think it was the fact that she didn't care. I think it was just, like, down to her options. I mean, her life or she's dead, and then what about the child, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then I wrote – oh, she was the abuser I wrote. When Dan was talking in court and she he was like – she abused me. I didn't tell her her meatloaf was good, and she threw things at me. Mm-hmm. Biggest eye roll, because it's, like, all the, like, cliche tac- tactics an abuser use in court of, like, she's the unstable one. She abuses me. She's crazy. Not me. I'm friends with the police. Really? the meat. She broke the meatloaf, man. Yeah. Out of all. And then I wrote, but didn't report him missing. You were friends with the police when he was like, I think talking about Tommy and he was like, I just thought like Jill had him or something that, oh, shoot. He was like, I was afraid to report Tommy missing because I know that Jill had Tommy and I was afraid what she would do when she got cornered. And I was like, but you're friends with the police like that logic doesn't even make sense. If you're afraid of what she would do, why would you just leave her your son with her? You didn't even report him missing. Don't say make love. Someone, I guess he was like, we make love or whatever. And I was like, stop it. Stop it. Don't say that. That's awkward. And then I wrote, this is heartbreaking. When the mom and Tommy were reunited and she was telling him about the soccer game and how she was there. You said, why'd you leave me? Why'd you leave me? I know. And she's like, I was at your soccer game. And I was like, ah, tears. Um, this bastard is done for. I can't believe they're making Tommy testify. Damn, this kid is awesome. 
And then he gets the killer line at the end. You killed Jill. I wonder how much that is going to end up messing him up. I feel like he really loved Jill. She was like the, the hero that came in after his mom left. And for that, for Dan to tell his son, it's because your mom didn't love you. Oh, this everything about this man makes me mad. Also, I wonder how quickly did he get remarried? I don't know. I didn't really specify. Yeah, because Tommy's only six, and then he'd been married to Jill for two years. Yeah, it had to be mom, pretty fast. Yeah, and yeah. I'm assuming the mom left after like he was at least four because he knew. Oh who she was and recognized her i mean it had to be i mean a man like that i don't see being single for long i mean he has the charm and everything and i don't think he really he would i don't think he one wants to do the child care and just loves the image of having a woman you know Mm -hmm. so i feel like he didn't even date jill for like a few months maybe maybe they're having an affair wouldn't surprise me wouldn't surprise me Alrighty, are you ready to hear about the real life version See? of yes, this sir. douchebag? Yes, sir. I am telling you, this we are starting with Robert Durst, part one, the Kathy McCormick story. How do y'all know anything about this? Nope. Nope. Just kind of what you sent me in my quick Google. Because it takes, I mean, it was kind of a recent thing. I mean, this story takes place over, like, 50 years. Um, from, like, the 70s to, like, 2022. Um, and this Robert Durst is very wealthy and very famous in New York. Um, and I, I had kind of heard the name, but I didn't really know the story. So, this whole thing's fascinating. Obviously, there's going to be more than one parts because there's a part one. Um, so, let's get into it. Kathleen Kathy McCormick was born into a loving family on June 15, 1952. She grew up near New York City, and she worked several part-time jobs in Long Island and Manhattan. She was a worker, um, great work ethic, strong, independent. And this work ethic carried over to her education. She was working as a dental hygienist while attending Western Connecticut University to pursue a degree in nursing. It was at this time, age 17, in 1971, that she met 28-year-old Robert Durst while living in a Durst-owned building. Joe, catch that. She's living in the building that he owns? No, that... No, not that part. Wait, say it again for us. He's 28, she's 17? Yeah. Oh, okay. I I, I caught that. He's a creep. Yeah. Yeah, yikes. Okay. To say the two's relationship was a whirlwind is an understatement. After only two dates, Durst asked Kathy to move in with him in Vermont. Damn. Durst was the oldest son of Seymour Durst, the head of one of the top five richest families in New York. A lot of uh, people compared them to the Trumps, but more low key. They didn't put their names on the buildings, but they kind of had just as much money in in buildings as Trump did. 
The Durstar developer tycoons who own 14 properties in New York, including one on Times Square, two on Avenue of the Americas, and a World Trade Center. In fact, Seymour was pictured on the front of a Time magazine with Trump before, you know, Trump's political career. And the renowned New York families. Uh... In total, the Durst, Durst, in total, the Durst organization is a billion-dollar company. Even though Robert grew up in an affluent family and home, he struggled in school and struggled socially. And the jinx. Okay. We're going to talk about the jinx a lot because it's a major part of this story and kind of why the story continued into tw- 2020 um so the jinx is a documentary on hbo now max um and i watched it it's six episodes durst himself is being interviewed in this as a free man Hmm. um so you're getting everything from his point of view it's very interesting. It's very eerie. Uh, and it, watching it now, it's like, okay, I know everything that happens. But imagine it coming out at the time. We'll get into it. It's wild. It's very good. Don't watch it until we're done with this Robert Durst series. But um, listening to him talk at that time, if you didn't know the story, you would – because I didn't know the full story – you would almost feel like you're starting to believe him. He's very good at explaining things away. And you're kind of like, that doesn't make sense. But he says it with such, he doesn't say it with any malice or hate. Um, And he's so like, I don't know, old and just nice, seemingly, seemingly nice. So you're kind of like, I don't know. He's kind of making me sway a little here it's interesting but so i'm going to reference the jinx a lot because i got a lot of information from it um and because he adds a lot of background information on these things i mean also he's adding them so take it with a grain of salt he is a known liar but a lot of it i could corroborate with like other articles and stuff okay So in the jinx, Bob claims that his dad woke him up at the age of seven to show him his mom standing on the roof. The next thing Bob knew, his mom was falling from the roof roof and died. It's unsure if this was a suicide or an accident. But Robert, I'll come in. I'm going to call him multiple names. Robert. Bob, Bobby, and Durst. All the same. Oh, all his nicknames? Yeah, because that... some people called him Bob. Like, he, Robert's his real name. People called him Bob, and some people called him Bobby. Um, all the same person. So, in the late 1960s, Bob was attending a pool party at UCLA where he was going to grad school. At this pool party, he spotted a cute girl... With jet black hair. The girl was undergraduate Susan Berman. A daughter of a Las Vegas mob boss. 
Her dad owns a Flamingo Hotel. Y'all familiar with that one? Nope. Is that a brothel? No, it's a ho- it's a Vegas no casino. <laughs> yeah. I was just asking. It sounds like a brothel. All I see is Gala signs. I bet Segundo and them know that the Flamingo. Because I think I know, and I've been to Vegas once. Um, well, nothing romantic came out of this, a lifelong friendship would emerge. After grad school, uh, Bob moved back to New York, and that brings us back to him asking Catherine McCormick to move in with him after two dates. So we're back to the beginning. The two moved to Vermont and ran a health food store together, but only two years later, Seymour insisted that his eldest son come back to New York and work for the family business. So that's what Bob does in 1973, except not having any interest in real estate. So he didn't like he didn't really want to be a part of the family business. He didn't have an interest in real estate. He didn't like it. Um interviews and some of these documentaries i watched would say like he would show up to real estate meetings and stuff and like shorts and a t-shirt and they're like yeah that's not really how this business is it's kind of a very formal business so and one person said he didn't like it and he wasn't very good at it (laughs) but when you're in a rich family like this and dad says come back and be a part of the business kind of what you do in the same year, 1973, Catherine and Bob get married at the age of 19 and 30. Damn. Yeah, watch this guy. He like him too fresh and young. He's a creep. Yeah, because Susan was an undergraduate and he was a graduate at UCLA. Um, but of course, this is. Oh, wait. And they got married in 1973. At first, the marriage was everything a high-class marriage should be. They partied at clubs, including Studio 54. Have you also heard of Studio 54? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, like, used to be one of the top clubs of New York. And, like, they basically invented the red velvet rope. And all of the famous people would go there, like, the best stars and everything. I could do a whole episode on this it's so fascinating but basically the owner he kind of didn't care who you were so he would stand out there on a chair and just kind of point like that person can come in and that person can come in so he choose everyday people over like some celebrities it was kind of just at random anyways it was like the hottest club so it was the biggest thing um They partied at clubs, they attended fancy social events, and they had affluent friends. So everything you kind of thought like a marriage like this would go of a prominent family. But of course, this is a true crime podcast. So, you know, the marriage takes a turn for the worst. In 1976, Kathy found out she was pregnant. And the jinx, Bob claims that he had told Kathy from the beginning that he did not want kids. And Kathy agreed, but when she found out she was pregnant, she had changed her mind, which she has every right to do so. What year was she pregnant? Yeah. How do you 1976. Tell, how do you so tell someone was you don't? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. How do you tell someone you don't want kids, and then you know what you have to do to have kids? How do you do that after? I get. I, I mean, 
I guess it was an accident. I don't know. An accident? Accidents happen, Malik. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta say that every pregnancy was bland. Nah, but it it wasn't a, the part the thing that needs to happen. That part wasn't an but, accident. But purpose. if you knew you don't want kids, you think you would take the right precautions to make sure you don't have kids. Basically, I'm saying you don't accidentally not pull out. That's yeah. what I'm getting at here. I, I know what you're getting PG. at. I I know what you're getting at, but I can't explain why he didn't pull out. There was no explanation. <laughs> <laughs> that was documentary. A lot of this is gonna be cut out. I needed him. To, I need to watch the documentary so he can explain that to me. How he do you didn't explain it? it. He didn't explain it in the documentary. I'm sorry, no Mr. one asked him. Mr. Curse, why did you not pull out? <laughs> Mr. Mr. Curse, why? <laughs> yeah, sorry, that didn't get brought. No one else seemed to question that. That's the first thing I would have questioned. I was like, so a- accident, you say, huh? Um. So she wanted to keep it. Bob, however, forced her to get an abortion and to humiliate her more. Okay, I didn't really get this, but maybe I'll... He threw water on her head on the way to the appointment. I guess it's just an attempt to humiliate her. I didn't... I mean, and maybe abusive. Uh, It was weird. I have never heard anything like that. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. I don't either, but it happened. Kathy's diary was found after her disappearance, which detailed the abuse she went through by the hands of her prominent husband. The diary told of times Bob had punched and slapped her. The neighbor even told investigators how Kathy climbed from her balcony to the neighbors in a panic, crying, saying how Bob had beaten her and that she was afraid he would shoot her with the gun he owned. But despite her loved ones urging her to report him and leave him, Kathy stayed out of fear. Also, I read somewhere that there was this, like, prenup that basically hamstrung her into not leaving. Mm. She turned or she tried to remain optimistic in other areas of her life. In fact, she started medical school at the Albert Einstein college of medicine in the Bronx in December of 1981, Kathy and Bob were at a Christmas party at her parents' house in which Bob was ready to leave. Kathy on the other hand was enjoying herself and wasn't ready. Bob pulled Kathy out of the party by her hair. Oh, yeah, Bob explains this in the Jinx and basically was like, I don't want to talk to those people anymore. I don't have anything in common. And I was like, you know what? That's just not how that works in a marriage, okay? It was her parents, right? Mm-hmm. See, why didn't the dad do anything about it? I don't, I'm sure it was like no one really noticed, you know? I was going to say, so he's I, publicly violent. Yeah, I bet it wasn't like a big scene because... You can hear, like, stories from her, like, family, her brother and her mom, and I feel like they would have stepped in. They must have not seen or noticed. You just rambling, oh, I guess she she left. She didn't say bye. Yeah. So, time to go. And they already hated Bob, so I bet they knew. Probably. Well... January 6, 1982, Kathy went to the hospital for bruises after a friend encouraged her to do so. 25 days. What? I said, there we go. 
25 days later will be the last time anyone saw Kathy McCormick. Oh. On the morning of January 31st, Kathy called her best friend, Gilberta Najami. I don't think I said that right. And said. Did you say her first name was Gilberta? Gilberta. Oh. Gilberta? Gilberta. Gilberta? Yeah. Okay. And said she had to get out of her house. Gilberta was having a dinner party for family at her home in Newton, Connecticut, and told Kathy to come. Kathy came. She was visibly bright, panicked. Um, And Bob called several times throughout the night to demand that she came home. Kathy was visibly shaken up and announced she was leaving. So Gilberta walked her out and on the front porch, Kathy looked at Gilberta and said, Gilberta, promise me if something happens, you'll check it out. I'm afraid of Bobby. These were the last words Kathy said to anyone. Gives me chills, man. Gives me chills. Five days later, on February 5th, 1982, Robert Durst walks into an upper west side Manhattan police station to report his wife missing. Durst explained he hadn't heard from his wife in four to five days, which was normal because clinicals or because she was in med school and sometimes had clinicals where she just stayed in the dorm for days at a time and didn't really have access to communication. So what? the police, what? No act. What do you mean, no access to communication? What kind of I story mean, is that? It's in the eighties. I would feel like they would have a telephone like in the dorm hall, like a common one. For Maybe, him. but I think he was trying to say like she's just so busy and like she's at the place. We don't have to talk every day, whatever. But now, you know, it has been a few days. And they're married, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sketchy. Um, the police bought it. And I watched two documentaries on this, The Jinx and 2020, and the, the original police officer really sticks to it. He was like, it was a good logical story. Like, why wouldn't you buy that? They're married. I was like, it's a, it's a mystery how this became a mystery. Um, so this is Durst's recount of the last night. This is coming from him. Kathy came home to their South Salem home. So they had an apartment in Manhattan that Kathy stayed at to go to medical school. And then they had a home in South Salem, New York, which is somewhere else not in New York City. So Kathy came home to the South Salem home where Robert was at. At 7.30 p.m. p.m. after leaving Gilberta's. They had a sandwich together and at some point they got in an argument. Because I guess Kathy wanted to go back to Manhattan and she wanted to drive. But Robert was like, she had been drinking and I didn't want her to take the Mercedes. And we got into this like heated argument. And nothing is more annoying than the interviewer confronted him about evidence of them being or him being physically violent. And he was like, we both were. You could call them like pushing and shoving matches. Like it was a it was one of those pushing arguments is what he would call it was kind of annoying. Oh. 
I was like, yeah, I get into those pushing arguments, too, all the time. Not really, no. I was going to say, did you just admit to being abused? No. I'm, I'm making fun of, like, how, that's his, like, euphemism for I abused her. It was a pushing fight. Okay. One of the hitting fights. If you need help, blink twice. That's <laughs> one. Loving, I'm in a loving relationship. That's what they all say. Um. Okay, so they got into this argument. And Catherine wanted to go back to the apartment in the city. So Zers, you know, obviously won the argument and dropped her off at the Katona train station around 8.30 p.m. And he went back home and had a drink with his neighbor, Bill Mayer. He then walks his dog and stops at a payphone around 11, 11, 15-ish to call Kathy um, in their Manhattan apartment, and they chat for a minute before he went back home and went to sleep. That was his recount of the night of the January 31st. Um, this was further corroborated by a doorman at the couple's Manhattan apartment who said he saw Kathy, but immediately from the back and far away. Then the dean of Susan's Meadow School School also said that he received a call from what he believed was Kath. Did I say Susan's? I meant Kathy's. The dean of Kathy's medical school also said that he received a call from what he believed was was Kathy, saying she had a stomach ache and wouldn't make it to her classes. What do y'all think of all this? Bad, bad, bad. You don't think it was Kathy seen at the building and Kathy that was calling? Malik? I'm marinating. I'm <laughs> marinating. Don't ever have to marinate on things? No, I just go with my first thought. And then sometimes it makes me look like an ass, but... <laughs> sometimes I don't have first thoughts. I have to marinate, and then they come to me. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things us dumbasses have to do, Kenzie. You wouldn't understand. Yeah. We don't just have thoughts. Yeah, you passed your exit exam the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Kenz? I mean, I know the story. I think that at the time... Okay, so really this is a big deal. Because it kind of takes the investigation to the wrong place, right? So essentially, the last thing that can be... That is factually known is that Gilberta was the last one to see Kathy alive. Besides Robert. And there's two locations. The South Salem home and Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So by placing Kathy in Manhattan with the phone call. With Robert saying he talked to her when she was in Manhattan on the payphone. And with the doorman seeing her. It kind of robs Robert. If you look at it, you know, from a detective's lens, not in hindsight. You could be like, well, this crime took place in Manhattan. Robert was in South Salem. Couldn't happen him. Yeah. So it's kind of like. Rids him of the blame a little bit because now the the cops are looking in the wrong place. 
because they're looking in Manhattan because that's where they think the crime was committed. Spinning the story, I see. Yeah. Um, and what annoyed me the most was that Robert, I don't know if this is true or not because it's coming from Robert Durst and the jinx, but he was talking about how he, when he went to the police station, he's like, I didn't want to be there. And he's like, I'm trying to report my wife missing. And he was like, the police were asking me these questions, like, do y'all have marital problems? He's like, yeah, but like, who doesn't? And he was like, well, don't you think the police, according to Robert, this is what the police said. Well, don't you think she just ran away with another man? Like, don't you think she just wanted to get away? I don't know if that's true or not, because it's coming from him. But in his response, he did say maybe, except for the fact she was about to graduate medical school. So that's where everyone turns to, because we'll learn later that the story does get spun to like, oh, maybe Kathy did get turned, like, did run away. Mm hmm. And her friends or family are going like, okay, except she was about to graduate medical school. Like, you wouldn't just run away knowing that you were so close to graduating. Yeah. It was like her last semester or something. Okay. Kathy's friends and family were not happy that the investigation was taking place in Manhattan. They full-heartedly believed that Kathy had never left South Salem and Durst had something to do with their disappearance. So they investigated on their own. And I swear to God, if I go missing and you do not investigate as hard as I am about to explain to y'all, y'all are fake ass friends. okay? because (laughs) these are some real ass friends, what they did. I mean, I you can listen to them talk about this in the jinx. And it's kind of funny, not funny, but it's it's kind of like you could tell just how much they cared about their friend and like how much they went through these women just trying to be investigators and are like. You could tell they had no idea what they were doing, and they're like, you want to go do this? Look, Um, if you go missing in Colorado, I can can only do so much. If you go missing in Texas, maybe maybe we'll we'll put on our detective hats, and we'll go looking for you. But if you go missing in Colorado, don't got the funds for that, man. PSA, I need new friends, because they are sounding like they don't care enough about me. Hey, man, we're just saying we don't got the funds for that. Listen to what what all these women did, okay? They rode the same train Kathy would have that night, showing her picture around. They wanted, so like, onto the people that, I guess what they were thinking was that the people taking the train are on a schedule. Mm -hmm. So if they were taking that train that night, or at the same time, the same train. They probably took it the same train multiple times. So maybe they were on the train that night. They were just looking for anyone on the train that night to see if they had seen Kathy that night. Yeah. So they would ride it. They waited for nurses switching shift at hospitals, showing Kathy's pictures, asking if they had seen her. They did this at like five or six hospitals, asking around if any of the nurses had seen her. They even looked for tire tracks around reservoirs. Hey, well, I'll get on a train for you, Kins, with some pictures. I, I'll do that for you. This I'll is put up some pick. flyers. I'll put some. We'll put some flyers up. I'll look for. I'll get the dog out. We'll we'll see what we can make happen. <laughs> this is my favorite part. These women in March of 1982, they got the idea to steal Bob's trash, and that's what they did. So in the jinx, you can hear them telling the story, and 
I think it was Gilbert and this oh, I forgot the other woman's name. I'm sorry, but she this other woman calls Gilbert up and was like, "Hey, do you want do you want to go help me steal some trash, Bob's trash?" And Gilbert was like, "Yeah, okay." So they're like, "We we went at night so that we couldn't be seen." And one of us stayed in the car so we could get away real fast, and the other one got out and just started throwing the trash into the car. And then we got back in and we drove away real quick and we took it back to our house to go through. Um, because they're like, we didn't want to be caught. <laughs> um, trash. So and okay, but listen to this. So if y'all aren't stealing Dalton's trash, fake friends. <laughs> In it, they found some of Kathy's things, like textbooks, mail thrown out. So it was like Durst knew she wasn't coming back. He knew he didn't need things. He knew she didn't need these things. They also found a note written in Bob's handwriting that listed the following words. Town dump, bridge, dig, boat, other, shovel, car, or truck rental. This would be dubbed the dig note. What do y'all think of that? Sounds like everything needs to get rid of a body. Yeah, that's exactly what her friends thought. The Durst housekeeper had also shown authorities a small amount of blood. I'm assuming, I was kind of confused at this part. I'm assuming that the authorities did come out to the South Salem home in the beginning at some point. Because the uh, housekeeper had shown a small amount of blood she found in the dishwasher of the South Salem home and told them how Bob had ordered her to throw away Kathy's personal things. But I'm guessing they didn't really think much of that. And then they just kept looking in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. His telling of the story, Durst's telling of the story also started falling apart. The police talked to Bill Mayer, the neighbor Bob had said he had a drink with that night and the neighbor told police he hadn't seen Bob that night and this neighbor's interviewed mm-hmm. in the 2020 and he or maybe Jinx one of them and he was like Bob didn't even tell me to to lie for him I had no idea until the police told me that Bob had said that and he's like Bob didn't even ask me to lie he just came up with that on his own <sighs> and Bob explains this in the Jinx because he's confronted with this in the Jinx and he was basically like I just wanted the police to leave me alone. Like, I didn't want to be a part of this. I reported my wife missing. I just wanted her to look for them in Manhattan. So I just made up all these things that I thought would sound good. Like, if I just say this, the police will just stop asking questions and this and this. I'm like, so that's what you say when you're guilty. Um, The payphone Bob had supposedly used was also miles and miles away from the Durst home. So his whole story of, like, I was walking the dog and then stopped at this payphone along the way doesn't really make sense because you're not walking your dog. I'm like, do you walk your dog for miles and miles and miles at night? No, I barely walk my dog at all. That's why he's fat. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you I'm not walking for miles and miles and miles. Um, and he admits that's also not true in the jinx. But this is before the jinx, so, you know. The, the detectives don't know that. Um, it was at this time Bob started withdrawing from media, friends, and families. Um, except for Susan Burmer. You remember her? The no. friend from UCLA? The daughter oh, yeah, yeah, of the yeah. mob boss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He kept in contact with her. And he enlisted 
her as his spokesperson on Kathy's disappearance. So Susan put out all, she kind of went on like a press tour kind of. Susan put out all these statements that claimed Kathy had ran off with another man and was embarrassed or whatever. And was like, essentially like Robert's PR for the situation. And these statements were well received by the public. I'm like, okay. And just like that, case Kathy's case went cold. In 1983, Bob goes back to work for the family business, and then he had kind of kept a low profile. I think the the business, the family business, was kind of like, hey, what if you just like kept a low profile until this disappearance dies down, and then whenever you can come back to work, but we don't need the um, publicity of it either. Yeah. So 1983, he goes back to the family business, and in 1988, he starts dating a real estate broker named Deborah Lee Char- Charton. Ch- Charton, sure. And in 1990, Bob officially secret secretly divorces Kathy, justified by spousal abandonment. That's what he put on the papers, and sells the South Salem home. In 1994, even though he's in, he is the oldest son, Bob was passed over as head of the company and his younger brother, Douglas, was selected. And a lot of people think, like, Robert's brother at some point got his own bodyguard because he was scared of Robert. But he took, Robert took this as a slight, like, not happy. At this point, Bob doesn't really work anymore. He kind of just drifts around the U.S. In 1999, New York police investigator Joseph Becerra arrested a man or for another crime. An attempt for a reduced sentence or a deal, the man said he had a tip as to the whereabouts of Kathy's body. Oh. Oh, shit. The tip was false, but... This inspired Becerra and the new Westchester County DA, Janine Pirro, to reopen this case. Both of them believe that Kathy was... So they both... Okay. The investigation took place in 1982. It's 1999. Been over almost 20 years. And they're both looking at this case and go, okay, this should have taken place in South Salem. Like, this obviously was a murder or disappearance. Like, this should have... She never made it to Manhattan. Yeah. Um... They searched the South Salem home and the lake nearby, but of course, after 17 years, nothing was found. I mean, he sold it, so any evidence from the house probably destroyed or compromised mm-hmm. or anything. In August of 2000, Susan Bermer had fallen on hard times and had been asking friends and family for cash, including a letter to her friend Robert Durst, who in turn sent her. Send her, sent her two letters with a $25,000 check in each. Um, saying this, why aren't y'all sending me $25,000 checks in the mail? I'm going to my crime. Maybe they will. Yeah. At the same time, Becerra reaches out to Susan saying he would like to talk to her about Durst and Kathy's disappearance. He didn't, he hadn't like really suspected her or anything, but mostly when he was going back and looking at this, they didn't really, no one really knew where Bob was. 
And he was just trying to, like, get it a feel for who's Bob, what's going on, kind of, like, trying to get a look at to what was going on in 1982. Um, and he just kept seeing Susan's name brought up with Bob. So he's like, okay, I'll, I'll go talk to her and see what she can say. So he wasn't, like, going to grill her and interrogate her like he thought she really knew something. Um, but just kind of like maybe she could give some insights. In October of 2000, the media picked up on the police investigation. The police or picked up on the police reinvestigating Kathy's McCormick's disappearance. This sent Bob into a frenzy and he went into hiding as a mute woman named Dorothy Siner, who was a woman Bob went to high school with. He and he rented a cheap apartment in Galveston, Texas, underneath that name. He went to the island to get away. Shout out to Texas. <laughs> Shout out to us. What do y'all think of this? I don't, I don't even know where to start. I think that Susan lady's guilty. I've been suspecting her ever since. Oh, God damn. Sorry, I touched, I touched the, like, laptop charger, the box part, and it is hotter than piss. Burn my goddamn finger. God. I mean, so Susan's, Susan's the friend from uh, UCLA. College? Yeah. Okay. And, like, her dad's, like, the mop boss or something, right? Is that what you're mm-hmm. saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's she what made me think she was, like, she knows if there was ever something to call. It. Yeah. What do you think of uh, Durst going into hiding as a woman? That's just that just makes him even more guilty. Mm-hmm. He was mute because he couldn't make his voice sound. He has a very gravelly voice, and yeah. he could never make it sound feminine enough. So he had to go mute. Yeah. You can just choose to go mute, or like he just wasn't speaking, or like he actually is. No, he uh-huh. just he just wouldn't. Speak when he was in the Dorothy Siner character, he wouldn't speak, he would just say, you know, right, like I'm mute or whatever, pretended. Hmm. Yep. They knew it, he knew it, they're on, they're right on they're his tail. Right. Yep. On December 19th, 2000, Durst secretly moves or secretly marries Deborah in a ceremony the rabbi describes as not happy. There's speculation that Durst married her so that if ever need be, spousal privilege would apply. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. I'm not surprised. Not shocking at all. On December 19th, 2000, Durst flies from New York to San Francisco and presumably drives south. I mentioned that Susan Bermer lives in L.A., right? Yeah. Uh. I would assume so, since she lives, yeah. she went to UCLA. Yeah, keep that in the back of your mind. She lives in LA. Okay, so uh-huh. on December 19th, which is, I got my dates wrong here. I don't think he married, or maybe he flew out the day he got married. I don't know. Durst flies, so Durst on the 19th flies from New York to San Francisco and presumably drives south. No one knows where south. On December 23rd 2000 he flies back to new york from san francisco on december 24th 2000 
L.A. police got a call saying that their neighbor's door was open and her dog was running around in their Beverly Hills affluent neighborhood. So the police respond. And when the police arrived, they found Susan Bermer's lifeless body laying in a pool of blood with a gunshot wound to the back of her head execution style. Mm. And that's where we're leaving off for part one. Not on my birthday. No one, someone got murdered on my birthday. <laughs> a lot of people got murdered on your birthday. Oh, don't tell me that. But that's okay, cause you were born. No, no. Cancels out. No, really, no I really don't want to celebrate it. <laughs> ah, you left, left on a cliffhanger. I see. That was that was a good cliffhanger, Ken's. That was that was a good way to end it. He did it. Like there ain't no way he's like not gonna get away with this. We'll see. If he gets away with it, that'd be crazy. The system's a flawed. The system's flawed, man. The system is very flawed, and we're about to see a lot of it, man. Oh my goodness, one man's about to take down the whole government. <laughs> this is—it's just a crazy, crazy story. Like I feel like this is one that I think about all the time. Like I was working out before this, I was just thinking about this story, and I was like, oh man, this is wild. I mean. It's insane how much one man got away with for so long. For really no good. It feels like no good reason. I feel like everyone knows or should know it's him, you would think. I mean, all of Susan's or all of Kathy's friends and family are like, it's this guy. But the police were like, his story just made so much sense. (laughs) Um, Okay. Comparing it to the Law and Order SVU episode. There's a lot that was left out. Per usual, per usual. Yeah. But it is, I feel like it's almost kind of accurate. It's very condensed, but it is almost like kind of like the same storyline and plot more than some of the other ones. The only thing really you don't have is the kid. Yeah, you don't have the kid, which you know what, kind of okay with. Yeah. We can keep the kids out of things. That's always a good thing. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of that same thing of this affluent, wealthy man. Yeah. And his wife goes missing, and he's just kind of like she probably ran away with another man, and everyone just thinks he's such a good guy that they're like, yeah, you're probably right. Gives no one reason to suspect him. Yeah, it's that like that that. Aff- that affluent, that prominentness is making you immune to the fact that you could have flaws. Yeah. And, and you could do like, something horrible. He's got like these essentially unknown wives, I guess you could say. So, so you can kind of paint them how he wants to paint them. Mm-hmm. Versus he makes himself seem like everyone well, knows. Yeah. That's how so it was they, in the episode. But like mm-hmm. in the real life story, his first wife was going to be a nurse. So she was probably pretty well known because she was in nursing school. She was but first off, she was an adopt a doc wait, are we talking about the episode like Law and Order? The, the, first, the the actual story. Kathy? She was actually yeah. in medical school, so let's just she was gonna be a doctor. Oh. Um uh, I mean she got her bachelor's in nursing, but then she was in 
you're going to be a doctor. She was not prominent, though. I mean, just because you're going to be a doctor does not mean you're prominent in New York City. Um, and one of the, like, the 2020 talks about how different they were and that Robert grew up in this high-class lifestyle, but Kathy grew up in a working family. She wasn't prominent. I mean, she always had a part-time job, so she had to make her own money. Interesting. I was interested to see part two. Mm-hmm. Story just gets crazier and crazier with each part, I feel like. Ooh. So, but unlike our first part one and part two series of Criminal Minds, this one is actually interesting because the story is so popular. I feel like almost every TV show was like, let me do a Robert Durst version. So... Now we're going to watch the OG Law and Order, literally Law and Order, season 14, episode 17, Hands Free, um, for our next episode. Where can they find the original Law and Order, Kent? I don't know, because I haven't watched it yet, but I'm going oh, <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. I'm going to assume Peacock or maybe Hulu. On order. God, I hope you can find it somewhere. Dick Wolf really did a lot with this story. It says Peacock, Hulu, PFS, uh, Apple TV, Voodoo. All those kind of stuff. Okay, so it can be found and it can be watched. Season 14, episode 17 of Law and Order, hands free. Next week, but same Robert, Robert Durst part two. Yes, sir. And don't y'all dare go watch any Robert Durst documentaries until we are done with this series. I just like I just like I got a little overview so that way I can be more locked in. And with that, I'm Kenzie Huseman. This is Crime on Prime Time, and we are signing off. See ya. Don't wanna be ya. Later.